Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information, a podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here, remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. In this week's episode, I'm going to talk about three fundamental things for you to consider during pregnancy and birth, breath, sound, and movement. That's why I call this episode, Let Go and Let Flow. Why are these three things important? As we prepare for childbirth, why should we take time to not only think about them and learn more? These are some of the most useful techniques during childbirth that can help you to have a gentle birth, and some can even be used after childbirth. They help us cope or manage pain, are beneficial to the baby, and can help prevent unnecessary interventions or minimize the chances of having an actively managed birth where control is taken away from you. As I said, going into labor unprepared, mentally and physically, may, not always, but often, make things harder for you. This week's episode is not only useful for the expectant women to listen to, but also for your partners, the person or people who will support you during this journey. It helps at times when you are caught up in the powerful waves of sensation, which can make you feel out of control, that you have someone there to remind you of what you know to anchor you, so to speak. So first I'll talk about breath. Why do we need to learn or remember how to breathe? Think about when you are anxious or stressed or under pressure, worried about something. What happens? Your breath becomes shallow. You start breathing from your throat or the upper part of your chest. You hunch, your jaw clenches, you tense, ready to run or fight. At least that's what your body feels. There's danger. I need to be prepared. So although we no longer live in caves threatened by the saber-toothed tiger, our instinctive brain kicks in and wants to save us. From a speech we give in front of people, a report we have to make to our boss, a job interview, etc. All the things we face in our lives that are not life-threatening, but are read by our primitive brain as threats. During labor and birth, this tension is our enemy. So what do we do with this enemy? Do we run from it? Do we fight it? Or do we befriend it? Can we turn the saber-toothed tiger that wants to devour us with its razor-sharp teeth into a sweet, sweet, soft, cuddly kitten? Yes, we can. How? Through our breath. We just need to breathe. Now, there is breathing and there is breathing. Notice the difference. If I approach you with the first, you'd also tense and think, what? What's happened? What's wrong? If I approach you with the second, you relax. You feel calm and not threatened at all, I hope. Breathing is something we do automatically and don't really think about a lot of the time unless we're ill or we're unfit or something like that. When we notice something out of the norm because we are gasping for breath or trying to catch our breath. I think COVID has brought home to many of us how much we take 
one of these basic aspects or signs of being alive for granted. We don't think about breath until we have to. And maybe it's time we learn to be more aware of it and of the difference it makes to how we experience our lives. I'm in the process of learning how to be more aware of my breath in different situations and how to take control. Sometimes I succeed, other times I don't, but I'm always aware. So let's start there by just being aware of our breath in different situations and being curious about the changes from the usual automatic breathing we do as we go along when everything is fine. Where are you breathing from? Your throat? Your upper chest? Or deep in your chest or your diaphragm, belly, stomach area? Taking note of this is important because with shallow breathing, you're not breathing optimally. The deeper you breathe, the easier it is for your brain to tell your nervous system to relax and for that message to be passed onto your body. And that is what you want to do during labor and childbirth. When you tense and clench your muscles, that takes energy. And that tension uses up precious extra energy when you're in labor. Remember, the muscles in your uterus are working hard, pushing and squeezing the baby down. You need to have all your energy there and not in your jaw or your shoulders or other parts of your body. Relaxing will feel counterintuitive when you're in labor. Pain equals tension. It's an automatic reaction. So the instinct is to tense. Remember, fight or flight. Taking slow, deep breaths that come from deep down in your diaphragm or your belly helps you in a number of ways. It helps fill your lungs with oxygen, which is then passed onto your blood, into your blood and throughout your body. Remember, our muscles need oxygen in order to work well. And we want as much oxygen in our uterine muscles as possible so they can work optimally. Breathing deep not only helps us to relax, but brings more oxygen into our bodies. As we relax the muscles in our bodies, we're also helping our bodies to open. And we want to be doing this during birth. Opening, not closing. Deep breathing tells our nervous system that everything is okay and we are calm, which aids the release of oxytocin and endorphins, the love hormone and the pain-killing hormone. Contractions will be more efficient and the body will work as it should. Because we've forgotten how to listen to our bodies, it's important to learn how to do this type of breathing. It should come naturally to you if you surrender to the process during your birth and let your body guide you. But many of us don't have this awareness anymore. We're products of generations who are programmed to fear birth. So we need guidance and we need preparation. Yoga is great for this. In my second birth, I took antenatal yoga classes. And if you can do this, I highly recommend it. If you can't, then the internet has a lot of good stuff, either through websites, people's personal websites, or YouTube videos. Sift through and see what appeals to you. And also do some reading so you can understand how the breath works during pregnancy. A good midwife or a doula will also help you with breathing or learning and remembering how to breathe. And this is also something you can write in your birth plan if you feel you'll need extra help. It's something that you can practice during pregnancy when you're facing a situation that causes you stress or anxiety. It doesn't matter how small it is. Remember your breath and start breathing slowly and deeply. You can do this if you have problems sleeping as well. Turn to the breath, slow down your breath, breathe deeply. Imagine your limbs growing soft and heavy. I use an app called Inside Timer for meditation and it has a lot of free meditations focusing on the breath that you can listen to. Learn to use your breath as your alley 
as this will have an impact on so many other areas of your life and not just during this stage. Breath also helps with something that I learned from Ina May Gaskin's book called The Sphincter Law. This was quite a revelation to me. Again, lots of revelations through reading her book. Ina May talks about the various sphincters in the body, the openings in our body that are surrounded by muscles that can tighten and close or open and release. Think of a drawstring bag. You can pull the string to close the bag and then loosen the string to open the bag. The sphincters, she points to, are associated with excretion, labor, and birth. Their job is to expand and relax, to let something out, and then to close up again. Think about when you really need to pee and you run to the bathroom. Sit down or stand, depending, and release. There is the most pleasurable feeling of, ah, as the urine gushes out, a feeling of release, letting something go. So with excretion, we think about the bladder and the rectum. These processes are either inhibited or encouraged by the release of hormones. You see, we can't get away from those hormones. As a doula, I always suggested to my clients that they read the chapter of Anna May's book on the sphincter law. One good example she gives is from Michel Audon, another of my gurus, a male French surgeon who revolutionized the approach to natural birth. And that's saying something as he's both an man and a surgeon. He has an amazing book called Primal Health, where he covers the period from conception to the first birthday. Anyway, he writes about experiments to try and understand how the primitive brain coordinates the sphincter muscles. People were asked to urinate in front of observers. They chose people who could actually do this at home while being watched and then asked them to do the same in a hospital where they could use equipment to monitor their brains. Here they got a problem. These people could do that safely in their own homes, but once the environment changed and they were hooked to machines, the sphincters refused to obey. This can be applied to women where the birthing environment evokes feelings of safety. Now here, I'd like to bring in a caveat to say that for those women who feel safest when surrounded by machines and medical people, then this may work in the opposite way. They may feel more control in this environment and be able to let go because they feel safe. If the caregivers are sensitive, this will work well, but if the caregivers in this environment are impersonal and focused on the mechanics rather than the humanity of the process, then this may result in problems. So birth your way wherever you feel safest, but make sure wherever you are, your needs for care, comfort, control, and compassion are met. Okay, so that was a slight digression. Back to sphincters. Ina May talks about potty training, how many of us were taught to pee or poo on command by our parents and caregivers and at times punished for failing to learn this well enough or quickly enough. I confess that my attitude to potty training changed from my first child, where I really didn't know much about parenting, to my last child, where I knew a great deal more and had now learned what not to do. We learn where it is socially acceptable to open our sphincters and we carry that on into the birth space and perhaps wait to be told when to let go. If we go back to the woman on the TV programs that I've talked about, they're being coached and told when to push, 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 and how. Now, don't get me wrong. This can be important in the third stage of birth when the, birth, when the baby is coming out to help prevent tearing and also if babies are in awkward positions, as well as in dealing with extremely strong contractions that come at that point when the baby's head is ready to emerge. But really, you don't really want to be told how to, when to release your sphincters. That should be an actual thing that should come to you. Ina May Gaskin talks about how when we release and relax our jaw using our breath, we also relax 
and release our sphincters. This is so true. I have personal experience of this and I've used this technique with my clients. One of the places I hold tension personally is my jaw. I find that if I'm stressed or feeling tense or worried, I automatically clench my jaw. And of course, as I do this, other parts of my body tighten and tense. So before the birth of my daughter, who was, which was my last birth, I practiced relaxing my jaw, so to speak. It's quite funny to do this. You basically sit there with your jaw loose and you open your mouth a bit, not looking too intelligent, it's a bit of a black expression on your face. But if you breathe, relax your jaw, you feel your nervous system begin to chill. In my last birth, the contractions were hard and fast, as I've told you before earlier. Usually contractions build up gradually as the uterus muscles squeeze and they reach a high point like the top of a wave. And then they quickly subside as the muscles relax. There's a break depending on where you're, at, where you're at in the labor. It can be 10 minutes, seven minutes, but these breaks get shorter as you get closer to the big event. What happened in my labor was that the uterus would contract and I would breathe, 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 then get to the top of my contraction. I think, okay, I'd start to come down. My uterus would start to relax. But before I got to the point of total relaxation, where I knew I'd get a break, they'd start building up again. So I basically didn't get a break. It took everything I had in me to hold on and keep breathing. But my breath kept me anchored in the storm of contractions. I was so tempted to just clench my jaw, to frown, to tighten everything in my body, to cope with the pain. But I kept my jaw loose because I knew what clenching would mean, that the process would go on longer. When I was kneeling in the pool, at one point, my husband noticed that I was frowning, which meant I was beginning to clench. And he gently stroked my forehead to remind me to relax. And I did. I knelt in the pool with my arms hanging over the sides, my hands loose, doing everything I could just to stay loose. By keeping my jaw relaxed, trying my best to keep my body relaxed, which was easier in the water, as this also helped support me, I also helped my sphincters to relax. My cervix opened fully, and as our daughter's head descended, my vaginal opening expanded, and she passed through quickly and safely. Breath was my friend. I remember also when I was in labor with my first child. I think I knew about taking deep breaths, but I didn't really understand why. I tried to remember that as each contraction came, I clenched and tensed my body against the pain. That birth probably took a lot longer than it should have, considering I was young, very active and healthy. But I didn't know how to breathe and to work with my body, so I worked against it. As you can see from the example of my third child's birth, when you're caught up in the throes of labor, it isn't always easy to remember to breathe and how to breathe. So a birth partner is really useful here. You as the birth partner don't have to give her commands, but something simple like saying, looking at her and saying, look at me, breathe with me. And you begin to take long, slow breaths while stroking her back, her forehead, her shoulders is good enough. And that will serve to remind her and she will start to follow your breathing until she gets her rhythm back. You're just gently reminding her of what she already knows. When you see her body tensing, frowning, clenching off the jaw or hands, shoulders hunching, just gently stroke these parts, smooth them down, keep breathing with her until she relaxes again and finds her rhythm. It's all about finding a rhythm and then working with that, changing the rhythm when you feel it serves you and having as little disturbance as possible. We call this the dance of labor. And with that dance come two other things, sound 
and movement. Sound is a fun one, and it's another discovery I made during my second birth. I'd heard of women screaming, shouting, moaning during birth, but I hadn't really thought much about it and what it means. In my first birth, I made no sounds at all. I literally birthed in silence. Not a good thing. In my second birth, I learned to find my voice. In my yoga antenatal class, I learned that it was okay to vocalize, but that like with breath, screeching from your throat or upper chest at the top of your voice is not at all useful and just uses a precious energy and achieves nothing. I learned about birthing with sound and like with breath, that the sound should come from your diaphragm. Think opera singers or deeper within. This takes some getting used to and requires you to let go of the thinking brain and engage with your primitive brain. It requires you letting go of your inhibitions, not worrying about what your partners or what your midwives will think. They actually don't care as I've seen and heard at all. It requires getting in touch with the deepest primal part of you and letting it take over, letting your body speak. I remember hearing myself from what seemed like a distance or so it seemed, as I made these strange, deep, moaning, almost mooing sounds. Some part of me thought, oh, that sounds weird. But because I was so deep into the process, and my environment was safe and supportive, I let the sounds come, and I let go and allowed my body to open. Don't be afraid of the sound. Let go and make the sounds your body wants to make. This is part of the process, and it's helping your body open. Sound is another way that helps midwives, at least intuitive midwives, to tell at which stage you're in in the birth process. The sounds change as you get closer to birthing your baby. Amazing, right? The final part of the dance is movement. This is not such a strange thing anymore, but there are generations of women who spent labour and birth lying down. Why? Because it was convenient for their caregivers to have them lying down or placid, and a few generations ago, women were even drugged. This was in line with conventions of the time that women should give birth quietly and placidly and not be moving around moaning loudly, as this would probably have been seen as unfeminine or unladylike, since we were supposed to be the fairer sex, so to speak. I won't go into detail now, and we'll come back to this in the episode on birthing positions. But like breath, movement is your friend. Lying still during labour slows down your birth and does not aid your uterine muscles. Movement does. One of the things Ina May Gaskin says regarding movement and staying upright during labour and birth is about the law of gravity. Water always flows downhill. So think what happens with the baby. He or she is moving down. And when you're lying flat on your back, does this help your baby to move down? Nope. So upright positions are always good to help your labour progress well. You don't have to stand all the time. You can kneel. You can go on all fours. You can sit on a chair at the edge of the bed. The upper part of your body should ideally be upright, but leaning forwards. If you really need to lie down, you should lie down on your side and not on your back. Sometimes if your labour is long, you need this. But once you feel rested, then if you can, get up even on the bed and kneel, lean on the top part of the bed or against the wall. If you feel the call to dance, then dance. It's always nice to have a birth playlist with songs that soothe, inspire, or empower you. You'll know what works for you. I had a whole range in my second birth, which I then used again in my third birth, of music ranging from Sting to Buena Vista Social Club, Sade, Yuma Sekela, 
It was an eclectic mix, but it was perfect for me. I still remember hearing those songs, even when I was deep in labor. And even now, when I hear them, it takes me right back to that special moment. You can sway and dance through your contractions, rocking your hips, letting your body move the way you want to. This is also a great way to just relax your muscles and to dance your baby into the world. Don't restrict yourself. Move the way you want to. So I've reflected on three things that may help you birth your way and that will help with the pain and may also help with having a more efficient or to use a better term, positive and gentle birth. These are basics that all women should know about. And if no one has told you, then I suggest you ask your midwife or doctor at your next appointment and see what they say. Please don't beat yourself up if you are unable to do some of these things. One thing you can definitely use is breath. Your movement may be curtailed by continuous monitoring. Remember, you can say no to this if it's not strictly necessary. Usually it's just protocol or convenience. But if you can, try at least to sit upright or kneel on the bed. That is one way to get around being confined to the bed. In these positions, you can still sway and rock your hips. You may notice that if you are made to lie still on the bed, the labor will progress much more slowly and will be much more painful, and your baby may end up in distress. Remember, the baby is also working hard and being squeezed on and off. And if labor does not progress because you are chained to the bed, your baby will get tired, their heartbeat will start to fluctuate, and then you will have to receive emergency procedures. If you can avoid this, try, as this is better for both you and your baby. We all know there are certain things that can't be avoided because birth is unpredictable, and we can all accept that. But there are more procedures that are done that are avoidable and that we can prevent by starting with taking back control, breathing, vocalizing, and moving. Simple things that cost us nothing and that can only improve our birthing experiences. My next episode will be the third in this series, Birth Your Way, and I'll talk about delivering your baby and the third stage of labor, delivering your placenta. I hope you will join me. If you have found this podcast helpful, interesting, thought-provoking, or even challenging, please share. I would also appreciate any comments or reviews. My podcast is now on Abbey Podcasts, where you can leave a review. I'm always happy to hear what you think and to learn. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungi Sai, reminding you to reclaim your power. <laughs>